The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. You're watching Scorebox and here are your headlines this hour. Chinese President Xi Jinping hails historic victories as he opens the Communist Party's National Congress, laying out his vision for the next five years and cementing his authority ahead of a likely third term. We launched an all-out people's war to fight against the pandemic and protected the people's health and safety to the greatest extent possible. We made tremendous achievements in striking a balance between epidemic response and economic and social development. Asian markets echo losses on Wall Street, moving lower after the Dow drops 400 points to close out a volatile trading week. Good morning, everyone. It's Monday, so we must have a new chance of the exchequer in the United Kingdom. Yes, the fourth so far in just a few months, but sterling popping uh, as the new chancellor, that's Mr. Hunt, distances himself from policies of the past uh, and calls uh, grow, unfortunately, elsewhere for a new prime minister. A calls for Liz Truss to potentially resign. Well, the UK gilt market preparing to trade without emergency BOE support. What we need now is for me to show Parliament and the markets that we can make our tax and spending plans add up. As things stand today, my best guess is that inflationary pressures will require a stronger response than we perhaps fought in August. IIF Chair Axel Weber says curbing inflation must be the priority as he warns of a growing gap between monetary tightening and looser fiscal policy. The job's not done till we see inflation disappear in the rear view mirror. That's a very clear look. That's what the market needs. You can then optimize around that. The CEO of Mercedes-Benz, Ole Shalanius, tells CNBC China remains the luxury car maker's most important market, but warns future growth will face geopolitical and supply chain challenges. China will remain a focus for us. In terms of raw materials resilience, we're also looking at more of a region-for-region -region approach where we step-by-step -step look at uh, uh, shoring up uh, our supply chains Uh, welcome to the program, everybody. Good to see you this uh, Monday morning. Hey, I'm just checking. Yeah. Oh, he, he did make it back on the flight did without, make it without back. a call. Did make Not it many right. people made it back on the red eye. Is that right? <laughs> without getting a call from HR. <laughs> Is that right? <laughs> There's a reference, of course, to, to the Kwasi Kwarteng, who yeah. got on the plane as Chancellor yes. Checker got off and uh, read the. The tweet from the Times, it lost yes. his job. Yeah, well, it was, I, I did a, so you know how my week went. Um, yeah, I had a you panel. 30 plus interviews. Yeah. And, I hope and you got laudits and plaudits from uh, the, from, uh, you know. Loads, champagne, <laughs> bouquets of flowers, <laughs> chocolates. Um, but, but the interesting thing, I mean, we spent a lot of the great, week. By the way. Uh, thank you very much. Um, apart from the set piece interviews, we spent a lot of the week just running around with, a, with the cameraman and me holding a stick mic trying to find the Chancellor. Did you find him? Or in no, no, he was uh, missing in action most of the time. I think he was probably on the phone to London. But uh, I mean, he did that one BBC pool interview, right. uh, which broke a few hearts from other networks, I think. But uh, ultimately, a pool interview means everybody gets it sure. anyway. So uh, we all got it, but we did a lot of running around in the IMF building just trying to find him a lot of the time but apart from that 
The um, end of my week was obviously a panel at the IIF, which is in a slightly different part of DC, not that far away from the IMF building. But, you know, I went down to that and um, there was a closed to media evening um, presentation from Kwasi Kwarteng right. on the Thursday night. And I think there was a car revving its engine outside of the venue, basically waiting to take him straight to the airport once he left that venue. But I did on the Monday morning open my panel by joking that possibly everybody that had been at that event had seen the last chapter of Kwasi Kwarteng's political oh, wow. career written. Oh, well, I mean, who knows? He may come back. Uh, uh, there are opportunities in politics. Look at uh, Mr. Hunt, who has now come back to front bench uh, politics. Yes. Well, we, I think we've got to talk in about unusual it in unusual circumstances. Yes, we can talk about that in a little bit after. Yeah. But I think we're going to move on to um, to President Xi first it's of all. Big question really around leadership. There is no who, what comes next, and uh, whether we're talking about Kwarteng or we're talking about somebody else for the rest of the week, and whether they survive. Yeah, absolutely. Well, nicely done, Karen. You've led us into leadership. Uh, so let's talk about China, this major set-piece event then. China holding its most important event of the political calendar this week, speaking for nearly two hours at the opening of the 20th National Party Congress on Sunday. President Xi Jinping hailed his administration's response to COVID-19 while warning of, quote, dangerous storms ahead. The week-long event is expected to see Xi secure an unprecedented third five-year term as president and cement his status as the country's most powerful leader since Mao Zedong. Uh, let's have a look at the uh, Chinese markets just to see what kind of movement we're getting this morning around these markets. Uh, and it's down to you, basically, if you want to draw any conclusions uh, on the political events and what they mean for the markets here. But hard to say. I mean, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a mixed bag, isn't it, with the composite effectively flat and the Hong Kong market down over 1%. My sense is that there was a little bit of disappointment in the speech over the weekend in Hong Kong that it didn't imply faster opening up for the Hong Kong economy. The Asian markets more broadly, as you can see, are a little mixed uh, this hour. Uh, we do have uh, India higher and Japan up by 1%. Well, let's have a look. That looks kind of odd to me. Uh, but there you go. Uh, the Hong Kong market is down. The Nikkei 225 indicated down 1.35% there. So we, we, we just alluded to him in the headlines. Uh, Xi Jinping touted his government's strict zero COVID policy a success, giving no indication of a possible change in strategy despite public frustration over the measures. In response to the sudden outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic, we insisted on putting the people and their lives above all else and tenaciously pursued a dynamic zero COVID policy. We launched an all-out people's war to fight against the pandemic and protected the people's health and safety to the greatest extent possible. We made tremendous achievements in striking a balance between epidemic response and economic and social development. She also reaffirmed the party line on Taiwan, calling for the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation while denouncing, quote, foreign interference for exacerbating tensions. Resolving the Taiwan question is a matter for the Chinese, a matter that must be resolved by the Chinese. We will continue to strive for peaceful reunification with the greatest sincerity and the utmost effort. But we will never promise to renounce the use of force, and we reserve the option of taking all measures necessary. This is directed solely at the interference by outside forces 
and the few separatists seeking, quote, Taiwan independence and their separatist activities. It is by no means targeted at our Taiwan compatriots. The wheels of history are rolling on toward China's reunification and the rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. Complete reunification of our country must be realized, and it can, without doubt, be realized. So there was a lot in that speech. Let's get out to Sam maybe to uh, unpick some of those threads for us. And, uh, and Sam, what, what's your read then on the significance of the language in terms of Taiwan, the outlook for COVID zero and the prospects for China's economic recovery? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, I'm going to pick up on what you just said a little earlier about the markets and what they're trying to tell us, because it does seem like some of these investor hopes have perhaps been dashed, because as you say, he packed a lot into this speech, which lasted around an hour and 45 minutes, perhaps to many people's relief, because of course, we had to endure around three hours back in 2017. But one thing that the market is really fixated on today, as you say, is this second point here, hailing China's zero COVID policy and what he had to say about that, or perhaps what he didn't have to say about that, because what he did was he defended this strategy, despite the economic cost that we've seen, we'll perhaps getting more evidence of that, of course, uh, tomorrow. And so there's been a lot of suggestion, uh, certainly an interpretation in the market, that these tests, this quarantine, these health codes are certainly here to stay in the short term. And of course, uh, that is a bit of a blow perhaps to some of these expectations in the market that we may have seen an easing, a relaxation of these COVID curbs post-party Congress. Uh, but now there is an expectation perhaps this will last until March when, of course, uh, all of this is done and dusted when the government meets for the National Party Congress. Now, the other thing, of course, that the market is very fixated on today uh, is this line about Taiwan. He did warn against foreign interference. We know that that is something that he said multiple times. A lot of this speech was not really new, not a huge amount of surprises, a lot of reiterations. And as you heard there uh, in that soundbite, he mentioned um, this peaceful reunification, but never renouncing the use of force to bring the island back under its control. So there was a real focus, uh, certainly on the external issues, you could say, which China, of course, considers, considers as internal issues. The fact uh, that we heard about Hong Kong as well, and the fact that order had been restored after those protests we saw back in 2019, of course. Uh, and there was a really big emphasis, of course, on national security as part of these uh, party congress, or I should say the party's achievements over the last five years. Uh, in fact, security was a real buzzword. It was mentioned around 50 times in this speech compared to around half of that uh, in 2017. Uh, contrary to some expectations, though, it wasn't given the same weighting as the word development. This was very much a key. President Xi Jinping saying that this would very much be a top priority so we know that growth remains front and centre, but certainly this idea of security and stability is becoming more important and very much taking more of a front row seat. Uh, we also have China's uh, self-reliance in technology. This was something he spoke about uh, quite a lot. Of course, we do know that there is this shift uh, in the economic growth model from high-speed growth to high-quality growth. He did talk about, of course, uh, self-reliance through innovation and science and technology. He spoke uh, considerably about uh, education and, of course, jobs. 
It's important to point out that this is something that we have heard in previous speeches, but it is timely and it is important because we've got youth unemployment, for example, running uh, at a record high. And you've also got China needing to look for other development, I should say, avenues at the moment in the face of this pressure from uh, the US. Another interesting angle that he covered uh, was, of course, wanting to find ways to try to boost the falling birth rate in China. Of course, no doubt to address the aging population. But it does look like, guys, that they are looking at more deep structural problems and addressing them rather than growth. It does appear that they are more flexible on growth, but certainly not flexible on COVID. Back to you guys. Sam, terrific. Thank you so much for the summary. Uh, Zhou Chen Mao joins us, Head of Research and Advisory at Asia House. Um, good to have you with us uh, on this topic. Let me ask you, did, did, was there anything in the speech at all that you were surprised by or appears to set China off in a different direction from the policy that we've so far seen pursued? Uh, no, I think the, uh, the policy is uh, the report, um, the party Congress report delivered by President Xi yesterday was very much expected. And, um, and he strongly uh, gives out this idea of continuities of his policies rather than any policy shifts. Um, but there are several, I think, um, sections that were priorities that were identified in the party Congress report. For instance, the idea of high quality development, uh, which was only mentioned once at the 19th party Congress report. So I think the, um, the fact that President Xi's speech has elaborated extensively on this idea of high quality development is a, a, a acknowledgement of that China's economy is likely to grow much slower in the coming five years and beyond. And the emphasis has shifted towards this idea of high quality um, and, and as well as economic stability. Um, the second part is the strategy of cultivating science and uh, tech talents at home. Um, I think the emphasis here is, of course, both on the, um, the development or the research and the development um, amidst of calls for this idea of um, self-sufficiency and as well as self-reliance. Can I ask you about the COVID policy, zero COVID, how long it can be sustained for, given we've seen this growth number very much miss the, the target. How much longer do you think China can hold the line on this? We heard, obviously, the excuses around the elderly population, but the reality is that they are slipping on growth as well when we look at the nation. Um, well, I think with regards to the zero COVID policy, well, I, there wasn't a timeline given um, during the speech, but I do think that the government needs to be able to balance between disease preventions and as well as um, the ability to attract foreign direct investments. Um, we have seen reports by the published by the state media um, in recent days or recent weeks, I should say, um, where where um, it recited top leaders um, calling for insurance of foreign direct investments. So I think going forward, we're likely to go to see a, a, a strategy that balances between uh, COVID preventions and as well as ensuring that the foreign direct investments. 
Um, look, I want to go back to uh, what you asked. Good morning, sir. Uh, in your original question to Jeff, and that was about high quality growth. And as you say, a subtle shift in narrative there as well. They're going for high quality growth because the absolute growth isn't going to be there. How much is that a problem? And again, they've backtracked from some of their previous uh, growth estimates. They grew only 0.4% in China in the second quarter as well. How much of a problem is this? Because I've been told for years that, that, that this is suboptimal and actually could create all kinds of social problems. Well, I think the, the um, you know, as, as mentioned before, the, um, the emphasis at Drew, um, for the uh, for the speech by President Xi is very much about stability and as well as security. Um, so I think the you know with regards to this high quality growth, um, in a way I think it's also been elaborated in the speech that employment it has stressed that employment is um, is it recognized that employment is a re- is an issue, and the government needs to address issues like employment um, along with. Um, you know the 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 sex um, strat- um, the strategy of cultivating science and and tech talents. So I think if you look at the you know what was mentioned at the speech, I think there is a re- recognition that um, that the government needs to do something about issues such as unemployment. And I think we will get to know a bit more as to what China is going to do in, in terms of the specific policies at the upcoming. Uh, two sessions, National Party Congress, uh, when it convenes next year in March uh, 2023. Uh, What do you think the outlook is then for global re-engagement at this point? Because at the moment, um, under the previous policies, all we've seen actually is a reverse of globalization and increasingly Western companies finding it more and more difficult to operate within country. Any change in that narrative? No, I don't think there is any change in that narrative. I think she actually stressed the the word openness um, associated with uh, previous leader Deng Xiaoping, um, and he also talked about making you know appropriate reduction to the negative list for foreign investments. Um, he also mentioned about you know protecting the rights and the interest um, of in foreign investors. So I don't think there is a change in this regard. We've got to say goodbye. Uh, Joe Chen Mao, nice to have you on the programme and thanks for your analysis, Head of Research and Advisory at the Asia House. We need to circle back to developments around the UK. There's been market-moving statements uh, just in the last few minutes and the new uh, British Finance Minister, that's the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, will announce tax and spending measures today. This is now two weeks earlier than previously scheduled. The uh, Finance Ministry is effectively now trying to get ahead of the message before the market opened this morning. Don't forget, no special intervention window by the Bank of England anymore. So this is uh, very much a preemptive statement. You can see sterling is on the move. We're 112.46, so we bounced more than seven-tenths of a percent. So uh, the Chancellor to make a statement later today, bringing forward measures from the medium-term fiscal plan that will support fiscal sustainability. That's the line from Treasury. And Jeremy Hunt will also make a statement in the House of Commons this afternoon. So it looks to be a full day now as we turn to the events at Westminster. Nice work, Karen. Yeah, good. very important to get that out. OK, coming up on the show, uh, as Karen just mentioned, a guilt uh, certainly centre stage as investors look to see, well, what happens today? Uh, on the first day of trade since the end of the Bank of England's intervention. But who knows? We may have another chance to by the end of the week. We've had four already this year. And uh, don't forget for more on what to expect from China's landmark party congress this week, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast.
Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Um, okay, uh, I think I'm supposed to be at Walsh. Should I stay here and have a chat instead? If you like. Yeah, I'm Why feeling not? a bit lazy. Did, Did a lot of gardening yesterday, a bit tired. <laughs> Genuinely. <laughs> right. Exhausting. Okay. Uh, do you want to have a quick look at the US market? Um, I thought what was interesting is that it just gave up the ghost on Friday. I mean, it was all there to build on the rally. We had a good rally on the, on the down, and it just plummeted. Uh, by the end of the session, down 404 points. On the week, the S&P was down 1.6%, but the Nasdaq, oh, it was horrible. It was down 3 point, I say horrible, horrible if you're long, if you're mm. short, well done you. Down 3.1% uh, for the week. Um, so seven, eight, of eight out of eight sessions in, in a row where the market's fallen now. Um, there's a, there was a good and the bad in the earnings uh, from the US. Uh, JP Morgan up 1.7%, Morgan Stanley down 4.8%. The latter on the drop in IB, the former on the drop in IB, but not being as bad as many people had feared. Bank of America today, uh, Goldman's tomorrow, Netflix, Tesla, IBM, Johnson Johnson all reporting this week. Should we move on to, do you want to talk about the US or do you want to talk well, about no, Gil? I'm just, just going to reference something. There's a, there's a really interesting uh, chart pack that um, gets sent out that I receive from uh, Chartstorm. And, right. and they had um, the, the investment manager index, which manages um, risk appetite at the moment. And what, what, what was interesting, I thought, about the chart is it does indicate an uptick in uh, fund manager intentions to be more aggressive. Now, I wonder if that more is... aggressive selling their, their stale portfolios or know. buying? Uh, uh, buying. I okay. mean, this is, this is a measure of desire to take on risk, really, whether, yeah. that, whether that's equity risk at the moment. Well, could be, could be good guilt, couldn't Doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah, or just drive fast on the, on the highway. But, Don't do that. Um, the, but the, but the, concern, the concern expressed is really around equity equity fundamentals yes. so it's, it's quite interesting that we've had that first look at the bank earnings and clear indication of a down down move in profitability even though revenue has not been terrible but I guess we're going to talk more about that because we've still got more banks to to report but uh, it does feel as though there is even as the market is slightly fading on the idea that the pivot is going to come anytime soon it does feel almost as though there is a resetting of desire to get back into the market because we've just come an awfully long way lower in quite a Where short period of time. Where was that desire on Friday? Sorry, I know Karen, that wasn't yeah. there. It wasn't there at all. Quite the opposite. Tried to rally, second in a row, boom, plummeted. Yeah, we no, had both in one week, though, didn't we? We had that desire to get back in, yeah. and then we had a lack of desire where the market was saying, well, are we really getting to 5% on the terminal rate stateside? I mean, if you think just a couple of weeks back, the market was taking fright at the suggestion that we could get from the 45 rate to 5%. But I think now there's this realisation that whatever it takes to try and tackle inflation is exactly what central banks are doing, like they've spelled out. So you've had that disappointment again, and I think many who have been watching this market for many years is saying, look, when do we ever move in one direction this way and just move in one direction the other way? It's quite a dangerous market that we've been dealing with as a result because the snapbacks can be violent and the selling still remains a very dominant feature. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, did the snapback uh, represent anything in terms of a desire to re-engage with the market? I mean, the other, the other signal that I think is interesting is that when you look at the a similar survey, uh, TD Ameritrade also had a survey on retail sentiment, and that's terrible. But the Ameritrade data suggests that people got back into the market in September, buying into the idea that there would be some kind of meaningful rebound, and actually they were disappointed. So it's, it's being represented as now the professionals are getting more interested because the retail is starting to lose hope. Mm. So no, just, just something worth bearing in mind as we come out of what was quite a tricky week for, for equities. Okay. The UK economy is set to shrink by a full percentage point next year, owing to weaker growth momentum and increased borrowing costs, according to a new report from Goldman Sachs. Published after market turmoil amid the country's mini-budget saw the Prime Minister Liz Truss... I mean, let me just check a second. Yep, yep, sorry, she is still Prime Minister. Uh, saw Liz Truss sack Kwasi Kwarteng as Chancellor. He only lasted 38 days in the job. But Goldman has revised its core inflation outlook to the downside from 3.3% to 3.1% by the end of 2023 and said it doesn't think the Bank of England will tighten policy as aggressively as originally forecast. Uh, Kwarteng's replacement, let me just check. Yep, yep, it is still Jeremy Hunt as Chancellor. You have to be quick in England at the moment on these things. Uh, Jeremy Hunt is still the Chancellor of Exchequer after a couple of days. Yes, he will give a statement this morning after meeting with the Bank of England Governor Andrew Bailey last night and laying the groundwork for further U-turns over the weekend. Speaking to our sister channel Sky News, Mr Hunt, yep, still Chancellor, uh, appeared to distance himself from his predecessor's policies. It was a mistake when we're going to be asking for difficult decisions across the board on tax and spending to cut the rate of tax paid by the very wealthiest. It was a mistake to fly blind and to uh, to do these forecasts without giving people the confidence of the Office for Budget Responsibility saying that the sums add up. And the Prime Minister has recognised that. That's why I'm here. Uh, and what we need now is for me to show Parliament and the markets that we can make our tax and spending plans add up. Fair to say the gilt market will be in focus when it opens at 9am CET, that's 8am uh, locally, as investors eye the first day of trade since the Bank of England ended its emergency purchase programme on Friday. Purchases came in at £19.3 billion total after a spike in yields raised fears of a collapse in the pension industry, far short of the £65 billion originally earmarked for the scheme. Speaking at the IMF, Governor Andrew Bailey signalled a more aggressive move could be in the works for the bank's next meeting on the 3rd of November. More recently, the UK government has made a number of fiscal announcements and has set October the 31st as the date for a further fiscal statement. The MPC will respond to all this news at its next meeting in just under three weeks from now, just after the 31st of October. This is the correct sequence in my view. We will know the full scope of fiscal policy by then, but I will repeat what what I've said already, we will not hesitate to raise interest rates to meet the inflation target. And as things stand today, my best guess is that inflationary pressures will require a stronger response than we perhaps fought in August. The pressure is rising on Prime Minister Liz Truss as lawmakers from her own Conservative Party call for her to go. Arabile is at Downing Street. Arabile, we've seen a series of U-turns, first around the Chancellor, now we have a new one 
also around corporation tax uh, late last week. Now we're seeing this morning there will be a statement from Jeremy Hunt, the new Chancellor, sketching out details on that debt plan. So just walk us through the latest developments. Yeah, so it certainly has been a tumultuous time, right? A lot of uh, uh, permutations and a lot of elements have sort of come to the fore. It was just on Friday when Liz Truss uh, did put forward the announcement then of Jeremy Hunt as the new Chancellor, uh, the new UK Finance Minister, holding talks then throughout the weekend. Uh, to uh, not just Andrew Bailey, but also the head of the debt department as well, kind of getting a sense of uh, things and where they currently stand. And as you noted out uh, in the uh, intro before, uh, that indeed they will then be putting out a statement today that is the UK Finance Minister Jeremy Hunt, who, uh, according to Steve, is still Finance Minister, yes, for now anyway. Um, And the sentiment is then that they're trying to chart a path forward, that growth plan still being a formidable part of uh, moving forward, Uh, even Jeremy Hunt actually saying then that he didn't initially support Liz Truss and didn't vote for Liz Truss, but still stands with the process of trying to get growth as the key element here, trying to ensure that growth is a part uh, of the country that growing the economy is certainly more important than anything else and even the appointments uh, that are put forward. Mistakes was certainly the word that was used then uh, by the new Chancellor talking about of course uh, the uh, Liz Truss and his predecessor Kwasi Kwarteng's elements of the mini budget that were put forward having even heard the cold truth then from US President uh, Joe Biden. It must have been a chilling moment when he came out then uh, having just stopped at an Oregon ice cream shop to then say that he disagreed uh, with the uh, sentiment that were put forward and the plans that were put forward by the UK government but also saying that it was up to the UK then to decide how things moved forward. In a time of inflation a whole lot uh, is uh, still set to come to the fore and this is bound to be a week uh, where a lot of more credibility will certainly need to be put forward uh, by Liz Truss's government. Those calls for her resignation, though, whether those gather steam and are uh, made more permanent, is still a question mark set out, perhaps, for later this week. Um, thank you very much indeed for that. Um, I'm just going to mm. point out one thing, which um, I don't know, I haven't seen it written anywhere, but I just kind of uh, came off the top of my head. Jeremy Hunt is no unity candidate in the Conservative Party. I actually have spoken to him several times and find him an incredibly pleasant man on and off camera to talk to. I spoke to him when he was Foreign Secretary at your job at a conference. Uh, um, but um, he's no unity candidate. Let me just remind people that in the several ballots for the Conservative Party leadership, Jeremy Hunt was eliminated after the first ballot. So he's not particularly popular in the wider echelons of the Tory party. So let's just get this right as well. As much as I think Jeremy Hunt is a competent politician, I think he's been a very competent minister uh, in his roles previously as well, he's not the panacea for unpopularity. In fact, quite the opposite for many people. They'll just say, well, who is Jeremy Hunt when he doesn't have a swathe of the party behind him? Is that why he's there? Is that why he was appointed? Because he can't uh, rally support? Was he first, second or third choice? Let me ask you that. We don't know the answer to that. But I'd imagine he wasn't the first name that Liz Truss would have run to for support. Um, I think she is in deep trouble. I thought her press conference was one of the worst performances I've ever seen by a premier anywhere in the world, let alone in the United Kingdom as well. I think she looked like she was terrified. She would only take four questions of which she parroted the same answer. There was no humility. Uh, I think she's in deep trouble still. Eight minutes.
I think it was the entire length. Did you what? It was eight awful. minutes and four questions. Yeah, we watched. It was awful. Yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the question is whether the parliamentary party is now going to effectively go against the wishes okay. of the um, uh, Conservative Party membership, because that's ultimately what it would take. But but there must be a lot of Conservative mm. MPs wondering how long their this jobs is, are, are going to be in situ for. We talk about the last um, couple of years of, or, or, of a, a presidential run, you know, once A, they've had their second term, so they can't go again, or B, that they haven't got the support of Congress or what have you because the midterms have gone against them. You talk about a lame duck period. This next two years is as lame duck as it comes unless the Tories can find... Uh, some form of confidence in their ranks with themselves and, and indeed confidence of the country and confidence in the market as well. It, you might as well have the election and get it over and done with, which the opposition parties would of course revel in the moment, or find someone who at least is competent enough to not make mistake of mistake. I, I, I almost don't see the point in not changing the rules now and having a coronation of uh, one. The question is, who would it be? Uh, and Wallace pulled out for who knows what reason earlier on in the contest. He was an early... Um, popular candidate. There are all kinds of whispers of why he pulled out. Uh, then there's Sunak, who would possibly be seen as the one who would give confidence to the markets, but would he give confidence to the country? And then there's Penny Mordaunt, who did a, a terrific job uh, over the Queen's funeral proceedings, where she had a senior role in that as well. It's hard to see anyone else. How do you change leaders now after this whole process that we've been through? And we were told to just wait it out because we had, a, no, that, we had a party that effectively was soul searching. It couldn't use the, the last um, methods that it did to elect a leader because we came up with Boris Johnson. I mean, this was what we went through for, for weeks, listening to the party just uh, effectively like navel gazing. So now what we circle back to this and just smash all the Tory party processes and start again? Uh, no, not if she resigns. Don't have to. Just if she resigned, then they could crown someone straight away. Boom, done. Don't That's have to the be a key, contest. isn't it? Um, yeah. That she needs to step back, um, and nothing will happen really until she does that or agrees to do it. Uh, I spoke to the chair of the IIF, Axel Weber, at the uh, CNBC moderated panel in Washington. He told me the consistency between fiscal and monetary policy in the UK and globally is the key. What we heard from the governor. He actually is on a path where he wants to continue to tighten monetary policy and run the balance sheet off. And that was a short-lived episode. But generalizing that, there will always be short-lived episodes like the Treasury market problems where the central bank for financial stability concerns is forced to intervene in the market. And that might be at the point where financial stability is not consistent with our overall monetary policy strategy. So there are these trade-offs and they have to react to the situation. But, well, I mean, since you brought up Andrew Bailey, let, let, let me ask you, um, did, did he fail to read the room correctly when he sat here a day or so ago and gave the market an ultimatum and said, we'll be done at the end of this week, no more support, effectively. Was that a, um, a mistake? Well, I wasn't in the room, so and it's hard to read, <laughs> and it's hard to read from up here because yeah. you have these bright stage. No, but look, uh, I think, you know, I don't want to comment on single decisions or communications by central banks, but what you do see in the central banking world is they're facing a lot more trade-offs that determine now what they, uh, what they do. And so a, a speech like the one that, uh, you know, uh, J.L. Powell gave at Jackson Hole, laid his strategy out very clearly. And I think that's what the market appreciated. He gave a very clear guidance. Here we go. The job's not done till we see inflation disappear in the rear view mirror. Mm. That's a very clear, that's what the market needs. 
You can then optimize around that, but there's no doubt that Jay Powell does not want to enter the history books as an Arthur Burns, but he wants to be seen as a central banker who's a tough uh, central banker who had inflation appear, it got out of control, and we get it back under control. And that was the message to the market. It's the top priority of the Fed. Take the trade-off that the Fed have between employment. He's basically said, for now, there's no trade-off. Inflation is the prime focus. We're going to get the job done. And that was very healthy. And I think central banks should give pretty clear guidance. The ECB is still, in my view, not as clearly decided and not as clearly in communication of the direction of travel over the next 12 to 16 months as the Fed has since the uh, Jackson Hole conference. I think yeah. I never understood it. Are we still talking about Liz Truss and Jeremy Hunt and Kwasi Kwarteng and Deem Zahawi and Rishi Sunak? Oh, dear. It's going to be the quiz game for years to come. Name the four or five chancellors in the Conservatives in 2022. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.